Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. My name is Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So Simon, all through the series, you know, you and I have started to make links and joins and connections. And I think one of the things that we've started to challenge is perhaps maybe our assumptions that people's ability to execute the basic fundamentals, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we just assume that people can do that, et cetera. So we we had a conversation where we were talking about, but okay, that is a big assumption. And, and one of the big areas, certainly as we started to talk about leadership and the changing world of work, uh, was around finding your voice. So this episode is literally titled that, finding your voice. And, and I think this is going to be a slightly different uh, conversation because we're getting into something quite specific in terms of us as people and our ability to to execute. So. What are you looking forward to on this episode? So this one for me is very personal, uh, as I suspect it is for quite a lot of people. Yeah, I, I don't like public speaking. Yeah, I don't like being in the spotlight. Uh, I never have, but our jobs have necessitated it and uh, they've forced us into the spotlight. Uh, and, and that does, to a degree, force an improvement, uh, a, a grasping the nettle type of approach. But I'd really like to get better at it. And I do think that applies to a lot of people. I don't think that's just me. I don't think I've got any particular issues. I think that is generally speaking, you know, people shy away from that spotlight. So it'd be great to hear from somebody who's actually a professional at improving people in this space and just to to hear her, you know, the observations that, that she has. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I think very similar to you, Simon. I, I, I want to understand more about what potentially some of the barriers are to us finding our voice. And voice is a, is, has different meaning. It voices about the ability to speak, but it's about the ability to get a message across and the ability to influence, because I do think that's crucial. And, and, and then also then, as you say, some of those tips, I think, to, to enhance the voice. And I'm particularly interested, I suppose, around you know, words, tone of voice, body language, breathing, the connection of all of these things. And I think it's not just about presenting. I go back to even school times. I would be I would be the person not putting my hand up for fear of getting the answer wrong or being ridiculed or having a, an opinion in a meeting. So it's not just about presenting, is it? It is that finding your inner voice and, and having confidence in yourself. So it should be a great episode, I think. That's a great example. No, it should be. We're excited. Absolutely. We are absolutely delighted to welcome Caroline Goider as our guest on this episode of the Human Factor podcast. Caroline's global reputation as a speaker and voice coach is built on her warm, engaging, relaxed, and highly practical style. Her TEDx on the surprising secret to speaking with confidence has been viewed nine million times and rising. Caroline is a sought-after expert speaker and trainer by senior management within high-profile organizations as well as private individuals. Caroline worked for over a decade at the celebrated Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London as a voice coach. She has a degree in English literature from St. John's College, University of Oxford. Caroline speaks at YouTube, Facebook, Amazon, Harvard Business School alumni, Henley Business School, School of Life and London Business Forum. Clients have included news anchors and reporters, actors, 
CEOs of FTSE 100 and 250 companies, a monarch and TV magicians, amongst others. So Caroline, thank you so much for being a guest on the Human Factor podcast. Welcome. My total pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So we are going to have a really interesting conversation today on the topic of voice and and in particular, finding your voice. And through the series, you know, through the series to date, I think we've learned that it's so easy to make assumptions about the things that we expect people to be able to do in the throes of work, in the throes of home, in the throes of building relationships. So let me give the context for the conversation that we're about to have. And in some respects, I've tried to personalize this. So when I was young, very young, the thought of public speaking was one of the most terrifying thoughts. My parents, because I was brought up in in West Wales, my parents would often encourage me to compete in the Eisteddfod, a Welsh festival of the arts where people would compete against other schools in singing competitions or recitals. I would take part, but my lack of confidence was evident and I struggled to express myself. The moment when I would walk into the middle of the stage was so scary and the experience would leave scars for sure. For me personally, finding my voice has been a lifetime pursuit. It's something I've never mastered. I've had many dips in my confidence and at times when I felt that my voice wasn't worthy and sometimes imposter syndrome would kick in. I would often ask the question, is it up to me to speak up? be persistent with my opinion, or did I need the help of others to listen? I've often reflected that there's an assumption that speaking up and having a voice was something that we all should be able to do, but it isn't that simple for many people. So on this episode, we're going to explore this often assumed thought that everyone has a voice with Caroline. So let's do a scene setter, I think. So let's maybe start with that, that assumption. Can we sort of challenge it, I suppose? So Caroline, Do we all have a voice? I loved your introduction, Michael. And I think as people listen to that, there will be so many people listening and going, yep, I get terrified when I walk on a stage. Yep, I've spoken up in a meeting and nobody's listened. And is it me? Is it them? I think these are really human experiences. And the the first thing I would say, riffing off what you said, is that speaking and listening is a feedback loop. And it is the person who speaks and the person who listens are in a dance. And we all have a voice, but sometimes in our childhoods, in our working lives, that voice feels like it's taken away from us. And it's incumbent both on the listener and the speaker to understand that, yes, you do have a voice, but you can remove it from people really quickly. And just the generous moment where someone really listens to you is so empowering for most people. And I, and I think that in our culture, there are certain people who are listened to and there are certain people who aren't. And that informs self-identity deeply. So we all have a responsibility to look after the feedback loop. That's interesting because we've been talking about empathy. And what does empathy actually mean? We've also been talking about the sort of different stages of listening. Everybody says, well, I heard you. My daughters will often say, I heard you, Dad. Yeah, but were you listening, though? Well, that's questionable. So but it's interesting then you framed it, that it's not just then about the individual, I have a voice, it's the loop. It's that somebody is taking the time to listen in and, and give that feedback. So 
if we just think of the voice pit for the moment then. So for years and years, I've been coached and I've coached others on the way in which we communicate. You've got the body, you've got the, the voice and you've got the words. Where do you place the emphasis if we just come from that direction for the moment? So it's important to go to my personal story, which is that I had studied English. I, I was went to Oxford and I studied English at St. John's College. Didn't work very hard, but that's another story. And you spend a lot of time, even when you're not working very hard, doing lots of Milton and Shakespeare and Wern, Anglo-Saxon and, you know, you name it, Middle English. So I thought I was quite good with words until I got to drama school and they said, you're in your head you're not centered, you're not listening, you don't have any resonance, you don't have any presence. And my epiphany was that words aren't just a thing that appears on paper. Words are visceral, physical, connected to breath, resonance, the body. So my answer to that question is that I can't separate them anymore. It's almost biblical in the sense that word is a, is a physical thing. And I, and I think as humans, the more we see it as a holistic process, when I speak a word, my breath is involved, my spine is involved, my larynx is involved, my brain is involved, your ears are involved. When we see it as a, a whole process, then I think it becomes much easier to play with. Yeah, and, and is, is that a, a strong or, or, or a major strand of how you work with some of your clients, if you like? I, I've read a lot of the feedback from people who have worked with you, and, I've, and you know, there are people who have been talking about they're, they're on a Zoom, and there's no camera on, but they're standing, you know, and they're applying that body with the words. Is that a big strand of the advice that you give? I think if I were to describe what I do with people, it's helping someone to be congruent as a speaker. So I'm always looking for that exec or that person to be able to walk out on stage and stand on that stage as them. Centered, simple, concise, well-paced, almost as if they're in a garden with friends with a glass of something nice in their hand. That simplicity is what I'm looking for. And that is when mind, body, breath, word are just in sync together. And of course, the paradox is it's like great drivers. It takes practice. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's not easy. It doesn't happen automatically. Simon, your thoughts? Uh, hi, Caroline. So Hello. I just wanted to build on that then. And, and what we've seen in the late last maybe two, three years, the pandemic has forced us more into virtual meetings and onto Zoom and team type meetings. Does that rob us of one of those dimensions in terms of the body language? I mean, especially where some of these meetings, people don't have the cameras on, for example, but still need to communicate effectively. Uh, and I guess that the second part of that is, is that also harder to have that two-way dance? because it's very easy to sit there and not feed back that you're listening or you're in that loop. It's such an interesting one. So at the point that we're speaking, I'm going back to much more face-to-face -face meetings. And I have to say it is almost intoxicating <laughs> to be in a room with people again, because there is all that sensory information, you know, that your sense of smell, your sense of your breath, the presence to others. We can't replace that on Zoom. But OK, here's where I'm really hardline. I think the reason that people find the platforms, Zoom, Teams, whatever they are, difficult is because we think about our virtual meetings the way we think about our emails. So I can sit at my screen and tap away and do 30 emails and 40 Slack messages and I lean in and my shoulders are up by my ears and I'm multitasking. 
if we apply that to a meeting, it's a disaster. It's like you see that person's eyes crossing the screen as they read the Slack message or you hear the ping and you know they're not really with you. And if someone did that to you in a real live meeting, you would be so offended. So my hard line-ness is that I say to people, stand up, as you mentioned, because it makes it feel more important. It makes you more grounded. Close the tabs. Get ready. Be as empathetic as if they were sitting with you in the room and give it your full focus. And then, you know what? You'll have great virtual meetings. It's just the discipline. It, it, it is the discipline. I was doing homework with my daughter last night and, of course, she had a phone by, beside her. And um, and I said, just check out that answer. And, of course, I knew she was just chatting with somebody on Snapchat. So um, it is about that focus, isn't it? And we, I think we've all been on calls where we can see the eyes glaring of somebody and you're thinking, you're not with us, are you? Uh, you're not with us at all. It isn't nice. No, it isn't. Uh, I, I must admit. And I'm a stickler for, the, at a minimum, camera on. Once yeah. that camera's off... It's an admittance, I think, that I'm doing something else. And I hope I'm not generalizing, but I think camera off means you're you're not there completely and you're relaxed and you've kicked back. And I, I, I've never quite understood that. It's interesting. I think there is a counter argument, which is that people get very tired of being on screen all day because of all that thing of watching yourself. So I think there is a moment to say, let's have a, a meeting and we'll all turn cameras off. and then you have to have the discipline of listening and you have to talk about it becomes a different conversation it becomes more reflective because people aren't observing themselves and and observing you but I think it's consciously choosing is this visual or is this just audio and certain meetings are fine as just audio but where you're replacing a face-to-face then yeah you've got to see people right no absolutely I completely agree so speaking to many people then in my career, and, and even, even today, I've met many who didn't believe in what they had to say or their confidence, if you like, in sharing with others. So we can sort of look at, you know, h- how to do this, but what are some of those barriers? You know, what, what, do you, what do you see that is common and how are you then helping them to overcome that? There are some really common patterns that I hear over and over again and the first one is that fight or flight pattern and I was working with someone today who said I have you know the big exco I have something really important to say and I'll walk in and I'll be okay and then something will happen and I'll start to lose it and I will visibly in front of everybody be losing it I'll feel nervous I won't remember what I've got to say I'll think they're judging me and it's a kind of horrible meltdown and so what I'm doing a lot with people is helping them recenter themselves as speakers. So we all know about mindfulness, we know about yoga, we know about you know all of that good stuff, but we don't connect it to speech. Because just like when I arrived at drama school, I had no idea how the voice worked. I didn't realize it was out breath, which was a bit dumb, but there we are. I didn't understand that how I stood and how I gestured and how I breathed could change my confidence moment by moment. So that's what I'm teaching people is that you are in control moment by moment of how you show up. And that's a transformative uh, epiphany, that one. Everything is easier when you know that. But do, you, do, you, do you find, though, because the bit I hear too often is the, the imposter piece, right, which is my, my viewpoint just doesn't count. Now, I know this is, this is just a TV program and many people would have watched Ted Lasso. 
right? When it was on Apple. And one of the characters in there was just so nervous and couldn't believe that somebody remembered his name. And then one day was asked for his opinion. And he went, well, you want my opinion, but my opinion's rubbish. My, my opinion doesn't count. And of course, they were trying to express how you get somebody to step in, step up. And yes, your voice absolutely matters. But there is also that bit, which is, but but I don't think I have an opinion. But but the, but you know they do. But it just it just can't come out. And this is that feedback loop, isn't it? That so, at some point in your life, someone's taught you that what you have to say doesn't matter. And then we take that on ourselves. And then it just reinforces. I once interviewed the playwright David Hare about this. And he he we were talking about confidence. And he said something really interesting. He said, it's vanity. He said, I'm really hard lying with nerves. He said, if you're worrying about yourself, that's a kind of vanity. Now, that is really quite a tough thing to say to someone who's nervous, but I would flip that and say, so for example, I, I had a client many years ago who works for an oil company and she would sit in the boardroom of this oil company with these incredibly confident, mostly white men. And she said, she was head of investor relations and she said, I never knew when to speak up. I found it incredibly daunting. And she said, but I, I reflected on the fact that my job was to look after our investors. And if the conversation was going to move the share price, then it was incumbent on me to speak because if that's not going to affect our investors, what is? So she said, I stopped worrying about how I was showing up and if I was saying something stupid and I just focused on looking after the investors. Yeah. And she said, then it wasn't about me anymore. And then I could speak and then they listened. And that was a really good reminder that the more we can make it about how can I serve, what do I see that the rest of this room doesn't see, then it's not about us anymore. It's about serving something bigger. And that's usually when we're at our best. That's almost opening up a completely different conversation, though, because one of the one of the things that I, I studied in my work was the work of David McClelland at Harvard around motivation and, and social motives. And why do we do what we do? You know, behavior is a function of the person and the situation they're in. I don't think people have a, a handle on that, right? Let alone then have a handle on what they're, what they're going to say. And, and there's an issue there with that self-control valve, because what you're saying is just don't make it about you at all. Park ego, actually master what your brain is telling you to do and just focus on the task at hand. That's quite hard. Well, so the, the kind of flip side of that is you have to be really prepared yeah. for that to work. I mean, this is almost an access toolkit, isn't it? That you, when you walk in on stage as a trained actor is very present to what's happening around them and they're not really thinking about their, their delivery. What it takes to get to that point is quite a lot of rehearsal and you have to be absolutely clear on what your signposts are. What is it that I'm going to say? Why am I saying it? To whose benefit? And then you can become self-forgetful, which is the art of a great actor. And I would say also a great speaker in a board meeting, right? Because if it's all about you, it becomes quite uh, that your presence will will diminish if it's all about you. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the big arguments at the moment around hybrid working, as Simon was mentioning, and the role of the office. And, you know, do we have to just go and turn up there because a leader wants us to go and listen? No, come on, we can do that from home. So there's there's a changing of these dynamics, isn't there, around what we tolerate i suppose or what we expect or or how people have got to redirect themselves sort of brings into line that humility point i suppose simon 
just wanted to build on the the fear factor as well. Um, I, I know many people, myself included, that would feel comfortable one-to-one. They'd probably feel comfortable one-to-a-few, three, four, five people presenting. But put somebody in a room of 500 people and say, go and stand on that stage and present. That's a completely different proposition, isn't it? That that spikes every red flag going to say, oh, <laughs> that's a different proposition. And I know what you're saying there about fail to prepare, prepare to fail. So you can prepare your way to having a, a, a mechanical response to, to presenting that. But there's also, are there any tips to leaning in and, and trying to find an enjoyable experience in there as well? Yes, there are. And you have no, first, the first thing I would do is normalize the nerves. You have no idea how many seemingly confident people I've coached who are utterly terrified by a big audience. And I almost think it's a kind of sane response to 500 people looking at you. I had to do a, a big event last week and I really could feel the nerves coming back because we're also slightly out of practice, right? But there are a few kind of hard rules that I have for myself. One is, if you're speaking to a big audience, your day is not your own. I mean, that's a real actor's rule. Have a quiet morning. It was at lunchtime. So my morning was really low key, no rushing. So that when I got there, I was really relaxed. And some events are a cab, a cab event. You know, you take a taxi there because you don't have to worry about public transport. The other thing I will always do is really think through the content because there's nothing worse than being in front of a big audience and, and having to seek a word. So there's something about really nail down your signposts and have content that you're really excited to deliver because that makes it so much easier. And then the absolutely crucial thing in front of an audience is really to put the brakes on because adrenaline, you will always be hit when you stand in front of a big audience by a rush of adrenaline because your nervous system is ancient. Well, mine is, but you know, for other reasons, our response to big crowds is an ancient one. It was life-threatening you know, for many, many thousands of years and your nervous system will still prime that response so you almost have to treat it like a nervous pet and tell it, you know, slow down, calm down, breathe, take your time. I used to have a news anchor client who used to say, take your time before she went on air. And when we really just take our time, see the audience as old friends, look at an individual, watch them listening, make it feel like a conversation. It's like our nervous system starts to go, this is all right. But what most people do is they rattle through it. They haven't thought about it because they're not, they, they didn't want to prepare because it felt nerve wracking. And so it's really speedy and they're uncomfortable. And the whole thing just becomes a really horrible experience, which then reinforces what happens next time. So put the brakes on, stop, enjoy it, make it a conversation. And I truly believe anybody can do it when you do. I like that. I like what you said earlier about it's almost having a glass of wine in your hand and you talk with some old friends, etc. It's great advice, right? Not easy to do. I think that's what we're trying to sort of work through here today is, is, is recognizing this isn't easy to do, but actionably, what can some people think about? You know, what tips can you apply, etc.? The absolute hard truth about all of this is if you can find a friend or a colleague who is happy to be a supporter and sit with you and watch your speech and 
say that was good and try this or someone at home, it could be family. There is nothing better than practicing it and watching it back. And yeah. most people don't do that. Yeah. A lot of people don't like role playing and dry runs, do they? Um, so important, though. It's honestly, it's, it is the thing. If you do that, it'll be fine. I've long been enthralled by the power of language and the beauty of it. I, I'm a born and bred Welshman, so I spoke Welsh when I was when I was younger. And as I've got older, I've been really enthralled by you know vocabulary and learning words, right, and using them in different different places. And you talked about helping others to find calm and control in the spotlight, to speak with confidence and gravitas. So how much of a role does does language play then also being able to find the right words and being able to manipulate words for that maximum effect? Oh, I mean, language is everything, right? And I am a lover of language. People who read and people who write are often good speakers. Not always because of all the barriers that we've been talking about, but you tend to find that the most compelling speakers are often great writers because there is something about if you're if you've thought really deeply about something you tend to speak well about it it comes from a very deep source within you and and so often the biggest barrier in corporate life for people is that they're given a deck and i'm i'm always like if someone else has given you a deck you are not allowed to present it you have to make it yours because it's it's impossible to do that with any impact or gravitas at all so, oh my gosh, deep thinking, writing, reading, the more you read, the better speaker you're going to be. It's just That is just a, a fact of life because words feed speaking. How would you explain gravitas? What is gravitas to you? So this is where the book came from. So this question, I was working with BT and they said, we keep being told that people need more gravitas and we have no idea what to do with that feedback. So they said, could you think about that. I did. I went back to the ancient world because what I knew is that as a someone training actors, I had all sorts of tools that I would use to help an actor find more impact, more presence on stage. And I was really curious as to what the Romans had been saying about this. Interestingly, so gravitas was a Roman virtue and it meant dignity, seriousness, weight, all good things. It was quite male, but we don't have to gender it anymore. But the thing that I really picked up from these ancient writers was that they were talking about speech the way actors talk about speech. So if you read Cicero, if you read Ad Terenium, if you go back to Aristotle and the Greeks, they talk about the pause, they talk about the breath, they talk about the body, they talk about projection and resonance and you know engaging an audience. And it's all this very physical, practical stuff that we teach actors. And so... I had a light bulb, which was what if you could take this ancient world practice and modernize it in the way that I know actors are taught, you know, in Central School of Speech and Drama today. And that was the genesis of the book. And it's really the idea that anybody, whatever your color, creed, gender, race, background, imposter syndrome, anybody can learn to speak with gravitas. I truly believe that. Interesting. Love it. Because I think, you know, when when I've been coaching people to do presentations or, or things of that nature, it's always about trying to get them to think about, well, what is it you want the audience to think about? What do you want them to know? How do you want them to feel? You know, and so you've got to really think about the, the, the language you're using that's going to really resonate. It's going to have an impact. 
It's going to connect with the audience and it's going to compel them because that's not easy. So you have to think very, very carefully about what it is that you're wanting the audience to do. I love and, that. And listen, I credit that to an old CEO of mine because she gave me some real feedback one day. She said, Michael, look, how do you want them to think? How do you want them to feel? How do you want them to act? You know, structure your message in that way because you're not just telling them something, Michael. You want to move them. Exactly. That's brilliant. You know, and I think that's the, and I suppose in some respect that brings me on to my next question. And I, I want to get your perspective on what I see as quite a little bit of a change in, in organization. We're going through huge change, right? I think we all recognize that in the world of work, how we live, in terms of how we now communicate, collaborate. I, I don't understand half of what my daughters do. Um, I just don't get it. Uh, I don't understand the language. I have to translate it. Um, But but at SAP UKI, on previous episodes, we've talked about this, that we're driving a cultural transformation, which is very much behavior-based, behavioral in the sense that it lies with every individual. And what we've done is we're about 5,000 people, and I'm sure there's other organizations doing this. It's almost this flattening of the hierarchy in the sense of the days where, well, I'm going to wait till the senior leadership team set an example, and then I'll follow suit you can't scale that. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So so we've identified a, a, a whole bunch of people who are, who are sort of modeling those behaviors and multiplying those behaviors. I, I think it's the right thing to do. But then you start to talk about above the line leadership. You're talking about dispersed leadership. So it's not just within that leadership team. It's not just even within the leadership layer. It could be individual contributors across the piece, um, being proactive, owning something, et cetera being curious, be on the pitch, not on the sidelines. We need to take a step back, I think, because that's the right thing to do. But when we think about everything we've discussed today, there's barriers to it. It's not easy. So I suppose I wanted to get your opinion on that, first and foremost. And then secondly, almost what would be some of your advice to organizations that are looking to drive change in this way? Because, you know, you're asking people here to have a voice and you know, give feedback and all these things. But the, the, I sense from this conversation today there are many other considerations that need to be taken into account. Your thoughts? I love I love this model of an enabling people within organisations because it does feel like that top-down structure doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work at scale. And what I feel about enabling people to find their voice in that context is that they have to be heard, right? It's, so you could give people a whole load of training on how to be confident and how to speak to your values and, and what you have to offer. And, and you could give them all of that. But if they walk into a meeting and someone shoots down an idea or doesn't hear them because there's some kind of unconscious bias playing out or some kind of hierarchy that is old stuff, they're going to zip it really quickly. So I almost feel like the listeners need to be trained more than the speakers so that ideas are acknowledged and heard and acted upon because if you see someone acknowledge your idea and acting on it and something changing in a more granular from the ground up way then you're going to be inspired to do something different if you get blocked the first time you try it ain't nothing going to change and it's true and i think certainly in our transformation there has been emphasis on empathy and feedback and what listening means but is there enough emphasis generally just in society i mean 
the social fabric of how we live our lives has changed beyond whole recognition. Let's be candid about that. I mean, go and spend 10 minutes on Twitter and it's just like, it's just like a merry-go-round. I mean, nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, nobody's really listening. Nobody's taking the time to understand your point of view and then debating properly. It's just, well, you're wrong and I'm yeah. right. And, and so there's the, we're not doing a great job in some respects of driving these behaviours that actually enable us to be progressive and actually enable us as individuals to feel good about ourselves. We need to yes. slow down. This, uh, the fundamental paradox of this change, which is probably about speed and scale, is that in order for it to work, people will have to slow down and listen to each other. And that, yeah. that's, I mean, that's true for all of us. That's, I, I feel in my life how, how much I feel the need to go as fast as the gadgets. And I know I don't do myself justice as a speaker. I don't do myself justice as a coach or a parent or a wife <laughs> when I'm trying to go the speed of my gadgets. And all of us, we need to understand that there is tech, technological pace and there is to the human name of the pace. podcast, human pace, and where we want to influence or persuade or engage, win hearts and minds, we've got to go human pace. And that means tuning into your breath and your body, taking time out, having quiet That's moments good. without tech. And this is the stuff that changes things ultimately. Yeah, it does. It does. Simon? I wanted to just change the dimension a little bit because we I know the episode is around finding your voice, but you know, through this conversation, it, it's abundantly clear that we have to find our ears as well. <laughs> okay. And you know, I, I'm very interested then on that aspect because we have a voice when giving feedback. And I think that can be so crucial to some to improving someone's confidence or destroying someone's confidence, can't it? The way we give that feedback. And I'm I'm trying to improve that myself. And my boss gave me a, a piece of coaching which said, instead of framing something negatively, you could always frame it as, wouldn't it be better if? Love it. As, yeah. as a really positive way of just saying there's something you could add there, as opposed to, well, I didn't like that because, which is very negatively framed. And I, I think that's really powerful. Are there, are there other aspects where we as people finding our voice could also find that voice to give feedback to others? Oh, gosh, this is important. And... I mean, if I think of how I run any training program, one of the absolute hardline rules is that you've got to celebrate people before you give them refinements. So the first thing I would say is that when we slow down and think about giving feedback, step into the other person's shoes, think about how they're seeing this, think about what you would need from the person giving you feedback in that moment. And often it is just celebrate what they've done well. And then as you say, the even better if the refinement the consideration something to reflect on for next time is much easier to take on board and and if it, if we don't feel safe if we feel judged we close down we stop breathing we hold our breath we can't take it on board so absolutely the quality of the feedback you give someone is so powerful to their learning if you do it with kindness just kindness it's kindness and empathy that word kindness has come up in nearly every episode actually Kindness to yourself, kindness to others. But the fact in 2022 we're still having to repeat it, it's just a little bit of a worry in some respects. Um, I think it's quite nice in a way. I, I think these are the huge, I mean, these, it's like the fundamentals of every great religion, isn't it? I just think these are 
fundamentals. I, I think if when we stop talking about kindness, that would worry me, actually. Oh, I agree on that. Yeah, I agree on that. Again, the basic fundamentals, you know, doing the basics brilliantly. Before I get into the last question, which we always ask, which is about tips, I, I, I just wanted to ask, if I may, you're observing and working with a range of people. You're uh, an individual citizen like we all are. You're observing the world and, and how we behave, etc., you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, what, what natural reflections are you drawing? You've given us many today, you know, about slowing down, the kindness and listening. What, what other reflections are you making uh, on a day-to-day and, and perhaps just starting to feed into some of your thought processes and your work, if I may? I, I think I would go back, Michael, to that Twitter point that you made about the trend that our social media platforms and our tech leads us to, which is to react and to judge and to think at a very superficial level. I mean, you know, it's it's quite hard to resist that. And I think for all of us to stop, to turn off the noise, to do something to center ourselves, to do something to think deeply and slowly, if everybody starts to do that more, I think we will be less of a trigger-happy, knee-jerk culture because I don't see anything good coming out of that as a tendency. No, I agree. It, 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 I always tell this story that maybe, I don't know, five, ten years ago, organizations would be saying, we need a social collaboration strategy. Otherwise, you know, you can launch a platform, but it'll, you know, stick to it, people won't use it. And I always joke that there's a gentleman in Doncaster who recorded a video, he put it on YouTube, how to fix an element of a, a radiator. And I only know this because I needed that video yes. to fix my radiator, right? <laughs> very helpful. But, very helpful. <laughs> but when he recorded that, he had no idea that somebody was going to watch it. So we're in a very different era where we're very comfortable, I think, putting stuff out there, you know, whether it be video content or we put our thoughts and opinions on onto Twitter. But my biggest takeaway, I think, from this conversation today is, is, is how we react to that. Mm-hmm. In reality, there is no right or wrong. There is no good or bad. There is no negative or positive. It just is. Whether that's somebody's opinion, that's their thought. You don't have to agree with it. You and don't know, you don't have to do anything about it. But that's a major takeaway for me from this conversation. And I knew that I think, but it it's actually amplified it for me that it's not just about the person with the voice, as you were saying, Simon. That it's absolutely about the kindness of the person to take the time to listen and then help you with that. Hmm. It's always that loop. Yeah, it's always the loop. It's always the dialogue, isn't it? Oh, brilliant. I've loved this. Um, great conversation. Great, great insights. So we always close by asking our guest to share some of their wisdom and their nuggets and pieces of advice. So if you have two or three, and maybe we've already covered them, but if you have two or three top, top tips that you almost leave behind with people and little reminders, what would they be, Caroline? The piece of advice I give people on a really regular basis is relax your feet. It was Laurence Olivier's advice to actors when he was asked to teach. He wouldn't, but he said, just relax your feet. And it has a magical effect on your nervous system. Right. How do you do that, by the way? Just right now, imagine that your feet are on lovely, warm, soft sand and just feel your right foot really spreading out. Now, is this and- similar to when he did that in Die Hard, he was encouraged to scrunch his toes into carpet to relax his feet. 
Yes, I wouldn't do the scrunching toes. I, I'm with I'm with him on the carpet, but I think the scr- I think let your toes really relax and spread out. Because that if you just do that now, you could walk out on stage in front of four thousand people and feel your feet relax. And that will have an instant impact on everything. The other piece of advice for speaking that I regularly give people is speak in short sentences and cut the fillers. Because what people do is they go, hello, I'm Caroline, and I'm here today to talk to you about speaking with confidence. And and it, it becomes breathless and stressed. But if you just say, hello, I'm Caroline Goida, and then I say my next sentence, I'm suddenly in control and I'm not a runaway train anymore. And the final thing is the thing we've always talked about, which is the, the how can I help? You know, we've picked up on that already. If you're nervous, stop worrying what they think about you and just think, how can I help? Yeah. That's fabulous. That's such a great, great piece of advice. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy because that concern, you know, one of the things we're hearing more and more is, is how well do you know yourself? You know, how, how, how are you self-aware? Do you apply control? If you can get that just a little bit and then just pause and go, how can I help? No more, no less. Yeah, that is very powerful, isn't it? And that that allows us to be human, to be relaxed and to be helpful. I think that's when humans are at their best. We do yeah. some pretty horrible things, but when we're helpful, my gosh, we can do good stuff. Yeah, and I do believe that's part of our DNA. I think that was shown in the pandemic that people, no matter how big or small, wanted to go out their way to help and do something for somebody else. And and that's been demonstrated, obviously, through what's happening at the moment with the with the war. Caroline, this has been wonderful. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest. And thank you for so, so much for sharing some fabulous insights, which I know our listeners will, will love um, to put into practice. I've loved chatting and I want to go back to some of the sources you mentioned. So it's good. I, I, every day's a school day. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Well, Simon, what a great conversation. I, I, I know we say it. We say it all the time. We're very privileged to be in these conversations. But I think we we mentioned at the beginning that this one was quite personal. I think I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, when I was young, um, and my parents were forcing me to do recitals on stage and things like that. There was a lot of fear and a lot of dread. And I don't believe I've ever got to a point of mastery. And I think you've said the same. Right. I don't think I've ever mastered and truly been comfortable with my voice. And I continually work on that. So it was just great listening to Caroline. Just so many great insights and just practical tips and great pieces of advice. I was scribbling notes throughout. What were your takeaways, Simon? What did you particularly enjoy? So when she was talking about practical tips, for me, that really resonated well. Uh, and there were no, there was nothing rocket science in there. There was no secret source needed. It was all about slowing down, taking a breath, breathing, relaxing, not rushing to a, an event and, and just taking your time, practicing, you know, so that you're comfortable with your content. Uh, and all of those things, you know, if you boil them down, they're the basics. Uh, and, and her point was, if you don't get the basics right, it is very difficult to then shine at your best. So, and, and we've heard that from a number of different guests. Uh, and I think the other common factor in and those things that we've, I've just mentioned are, you know, control what you can control. You, you can't control whether somebody wants to listen to you. You can't control whether somebody likes what they're hearing, but you can control your breath. You can control, you know, trying to relax a little bit more and practice a lot more. So, you know, that for me was a thought, that puts me back in control of 
of of the event and and i think that was what you know one of her observations is just taking control of it yourself a bit more and then relaxing into it hopefully there were so many things in there though to take away and i suspect you've got a a long list as well as i have i mean what 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 leapt out for you absolutely tons i mean one i loved listening to caroline first and foremost just the, the pace the pause you know, she really modelled, I think, the the behaviour and the advice that she's giving. But I think the context of this episode was about, as you, you said at the beginning, this isn't just about presenting and talking. It's about having an impact. It's about making a difference. And you're right, you can't control if somebody wants to listen to you. But but equally, it's having the confidence that you will share your voice, you, you will step up. And I mentioned at the beginning that I wasn't sure when I was struggling with my voice when I was younger, is it because I, I, I needed somebody to listen? That was really interesting at the beginning about the loop and the importance of the listener. So not just the speaker, but having that person who's willing to give the time to listen properly, intently, maybe give some feedback, and they don't necessarily have to agree with you. Slow yourself down and go at human pace. Don't go at the pace of the app, which I thought was really interesting. And also just reinforcing the power of the language. I think this was a great episode, so I hope people enjoy this episode and take something from it. Well, I'd certainly also signpost people to her TED Talks. They're, they're excellent. Uh, I mean, 9 million viewers is a testimony to that, but they're, they're, they're very easy to watch and digest and to take something from uh, and, and to look out for her books as well. She's got a book out that talks about how to establish gravitas, for example, which is, uh, you know, as we talked about in the episode, you know, how do you do that? <laughs> we all say it, but how do you do it? So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great uh, steer as well. It's just to have a look at some of the materials that she does produce and that she has talked about because it is excellent material. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we're making joins, aren't we? We're making links. That's what we're trying to do and we'll continue to try and do because I think we're trying to get as granular as we can into all these little nuances, all these little areas that ultimately make a difference to individuals and make a difference to organisation. Yeah, great episode. Loved it. So on to the next one, Simon. And as I said, hopefully our listeners will enjoy this as much as we did. So till then, goodbye. Goodbye.